All right, Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 58, and let's open in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us as we seek you to follow you in all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. As we read this section in Luke 12, we're going to find that this is one of those unfortunate places where they put a chapter break where it doesn't belong. Uh, because we're going to read through into chapter 13 because it's all one basic thought here. So Luke 12, starting at 58. When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, as you are in the way, give diligence that you may not be that you may be delivered from him, lest he hail you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer cast you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart thence till you have paid the very last mite. There was in the there was presence in the season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the, the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or these eighteen upon which the tower of Siloam fell, and slew them. Think you that they are, were sinners above all the men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except that you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And he said unto also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereupon, and found none, and said unto the, the dresser of his vineyards, Behold, these three years I have, seeking, I have come seeking fruit from this, on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig it about it and dung it, and, it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that we shall cut it down. So I want to look at these things, these stories. There are three major points that are being brought up in these stories that I want to bring out. In the first one, we see Jesus saying, be careful when you drag somebody to court that they don't, and we use it in English terms, they don't countersue you and win. And what he's basically talking about is the hypocrisy that we have so often in our life. You know, we have this big problem as human beings that we want to judge others. And it's very hard for us because we want to judge others by standards that we don't want to be judged by. And this is what Jesus is saying. You're taking this person to court, and yet you're doing things that they can turn around and sue you for over. All right? And we don't even have to speak going to court, but how many times do we find ourselves saying, well, I just can't believe that that person is doing such and such. And we start tearing them down and, and making them sound really bad. You know, and the problem with that is usually we have bigger problems in our life, and that's why we're judging them is because we want to get the focus off of what I'm doing. And Jesus is saying to them, be careful because when you do this, you might be the one that gets into more trouble. And we don't very often think about this trouble. The idea of gossiping, the idea of judging other people to try to make ourselves feel good. And isn't that what we're really doing when we talk about other people is, I want all the focus on their bad, and because everybody's focused on their bad, they won't be looking at me. And we want to be very careful about that because this is not, number one, our job to judge others. Now, when there is open sin and, and you, know, you have a relationship with them talk, to them, talk to them about their sin is one thing. But don't be talking to other people about somebody's sins. Uh, 
Besides which, if they're listening to you, they're probably listening to other people talk about you. So it's probably not a wise thing to be talking about it anyway. Because if they're going to listen, that's a problem. Uh, my, my favorite statement, and some of you have even heard me say it around here, you know, if you want to talk about something, let's go talk, talk to, to them about, about them in front of them. Now, I've been doing this for probably 40 of my 50 years of being a Christian, and you know how many people have taken me up on the offer to go talk to somebody in front of them about it? Zero. It's a really amazing thing. They want to talk about something, but they don't want me to take and, and present it to that person. Because I'll listen to you say anything you want as long as the person you're talking about is right there to tell me the other side of the story. Because I've, I have done counseling, I have done troubleshooting and, and issues and found out that when you hear one side of the story, you don't know, you don't know anywhere close to the truth. You have to hear both sides of the story and then somewhere in the middle is the truth usually. Because both people bend the story to make themselves look good. I'm not saying they're lying, they're just not telling you all the facts. You know, they'll tell you all about how the, respond, how the person responded, but won't tell you what they said to get that person to respond. And so we want to be very careful about this. This is what Jesus is saying. He goes, be very careful. But what is he saying? Don't be out there judging one another. Don't be, don't be taking out, you know, our, 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 these lawsuits and everything. You know, Paul goes even further and says a Christian should never sue another Christian. You know, and... I understand how hard that can be sometimes because what are we finding in our in our day and age? Christians are fighting more for their rights than than for the witness of the gospel. And I'm beginning to get very concerned with this and, and I said yesterday to the men's breakfast I go I understand that we have a problem in our life you know we need to fight for our rights but when we're getting known more for our fighting for the rights than for lifting up Jesus Christ I have a problem with it. And that's where we're at in this day. We're fighting for our rights, fighting for our rights. Where is Christ being lifted up in that fight? And this is a serious issue. And I don't know exactly where the fine line between fighting for my rights are and giving up my rights to lift up Christ. Jesus went to the cross. And he had every right not to go to the cross because he was perfect. He hadn't done anything wrong. And yet he went to the cross for us. So we need to be very careful about fighting for our rights, fighting for my right to be whatever. And this is something we want to be very careful of because this can lead us into dropping the witness of God because I'm right. And have you ever been around somebody who has to be right? And don't raise your hands. Hopefully nobody in here is one of those people. Uh, there's several people in my family that always have to be right in my extended family. You know, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what topic you're on, they're right. Even when they don't know what they're talking about, they're right. And you can give them all the facts that they're wrong and they still won't accept that they're wrong. So you know what I've learned over the time? Don't argue. It's not worth it. Go make a few points. Maybe the truth will sink in and, and, and dig, through, dig through their brain eventually. But you know, I have seen people that will fight to the bitter end to be right. They will destroy relationships with everybody else because they have to be right. We don't want to be like that as Christians. Does it matter that somebody is, you know, wants to be right? Not particularly except in a handful of areas, you know, the fact that you get to heaven by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. But am I going to sit there and argue with them about that? No, I'm going to present the gospel because it's up to the Holy Spirit 
to work into their heart to get them to understand that they're a sinner in need of Christ. If I argue with them, I'm never going to have another chance to speak to them again. Because all they're going to go, well, you just want to argue with me. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you. Give truth. Truth does not return void. God's word does not return void. Truth in people's minds give them something to think about. And oftentimes I have seen people and heard the testimony more than once that in the middle of the night after having talked to somebody about the gospel and they couldn't sleep because the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them sleep, they're going, I wonder if that fool is right. I'm wondering if what they said is really true and God works on their hearts. So never think that you've lost just because you did not win, win them to Christ at that moment because you don't know what's going on that night. You don't know what's going on the next day. You don't know what's going on 10 years from now when all of a sudden they remember your words that you spoke to them that you thought were totally ineffective. Be very careful. Be gentle with people. You, you know, you are not going to win people by fighting with them and arguing with them. You know, and every one of us knows if somebody wants to fight with you, what's the first thing you do? You get your defenses up and ready to go and you're not listening to anything you're, they're saying. You are just ready to fight back. So we need to be able to de-escalate the problems and just gently go through, the, through truth. You know, and you know, this is something that's important. I love, I love discussions. I love to debate with people. But as soon as they put a flag up on the hill and say, I'm going to die over this truth, it's like, nope, I'm not going to go there. It's not, not going to be fun because you're not going to change. I'm not going to change. So we're not going to talk about this. Go ahead and be right. And when you get to heaven, God will prove to you you were wrong, and I won't worry about it because God, God will be, be the one that proves it. It's not worth losing relationships over. In, in families, oftentimes a husband and wife will fight, and one or the other has to be right. So badly that they will ruin the relationship between them to be right. We can't allow that to go on in our relationships. This is where he's going on. Be careful. His next statement was the judgments of people. And he's going, this wall, the, the, where these Galileans in, that had their blood mingled with their sacrifice and this wall, that, this tower that fell upon those, uh, those people in Jerusalem, he goes, were those people worse than the rest of the people? Now, what's the first thing that most people would think of? Of course, bad thing happened to them. You know, bad thing happened to them. They were, their sacrifice was ruined. The, the tower fell on them. There must have been some reason for that to happen. What did Job's friends do to him? You know, we know because we read the first couple chapters that God said Job was a perfect and upright man. What did his four friends say? Job, you must be terribly awful for all these bad things to happen. What did you do to God to make all of this happen? What is the first thing we think of when something bad happens to us or something bad happens to somebody we know? Wow, what awful thing did they do or did I do that causes this problem? You know what? The problem is that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen. Plain and simple. Bad things happen to all people. And, you know, I've said this many times when we talk about this. A lot of people will ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, if you have a biblical point of view, that's not the right question to be asking. The right question to be asking is, why do good things happen to bad people? Because we're all technically bad people. 
So, you know, when good things happen to us, we need to praise God. Thank you, God, for your grace and mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Even for us as Christians. The longer I walk with God, the more wicked I know that my heart is. And God, I, I go, God, please get rid of all this stuff. I'm tired of it. And he starts getting rid of it. And then I look a little deeper in the heart. And guess what? There's more ugly stuff down there. <laughs> For 50 years, I've been going through this sanctification process. And there's still a bunch of ugliness in my heart. And know what? It's in your hearts too. <laughs> and we need to be able to understand that when bad things happen, it's not necessarily judgment it is just we're in a fallen world where bad things happen you know if you want to when you get to heaven you go go ahead and uh, thank God and Eve for all the bad things that are happening in this world it's their fault you now they sinned and they condemn this world and curse this world don't do that they're they're, they're, they're forgiven too and we need to forgive them <laughs> but you know we need to understand what should we do when we are confronted with somebody who's had something bad happen to them reach out and comfort them. We're told to cry with those that cry, laugh with those that laugh, reach out and touch those that are, that are in that position. Because I can tell you right now, they're going through the same thing that you were probably getting ready to do. They're looking at their life and saying, what did I do to cause this to happen to me? You know, we need to be very careful with that. God tells us in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath nothing overtaken you but such is common to man, but God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. There is nothing new under the sun. When you suffer something, it's basically God saying, are you going to continue following me? Are you going to continue trusting me in spite of what's going on? What can happen when we do the trust God? People are watching us. Now, I've said this to some Christians, and they go, well, nobody's watching me. Well, if nobody's watching you, there's pr the only reason that would be happening is you have never told anybody that you're a Christian in the first place. If you've told anybody you're a Christian, they're watching you. What is it about you being a Christian that is, that is something that I should want? This is an important statement. They should be looking at us and saying, there is something about this person. I get it all the time from all over the place. Why are you always so happy? Now, I don't know that I'm always happy, but apparently I'm happy enough that most people think I'm happy all the time. And I love that question, especially when it's out of the prison. Because as soon as they ask me, I can tell them why. And they can't get mad when I tell them all about Jesus because they asked me why. And I've had one person get mad at me and go, you asked, don't, don't get mad at me, you asked. I'm just telling you. But do you live a life that makes people want to follow Christ? Are you faithful in the hard times that people can look at you and say, that's a Christian, I want to be like that because I need something when things get tough. All people go through hard times, non-Christians and Christians. And here's where Jesus is saying, do you think these people were worse than everybody else around them? They just happen to be at the wrong place, the wrong time, and have, have God let something happen to them. We need to be able to understand this and be able to reach out to those other people that need help. This is very, very important for us. The last story is about the vineyard owner. 
He goes, I've been coming to this fig tree for three years and there's still no figs on it. Cut it down. Well, I kind of did some research about fig trees. Apparently, most fruit trees start giving out fruit pretty quick. A fig tree takes three to five years before it produces fruit. Enough to, so this owner is coming to it at the very first year, actually, according to him, he went in the, the previous years and found no figs. He's coming in the first year that it should be producing figs and say, cut this thing down. Cut this thing down, it's worthless. What is he trying to do on this one? He's talking about maturity. You know, the problem most of us as Christians have is, and especially the world, they believe that Christians get mature right from the moment they can become a Christian. You know what? I want to give you, if you think that way, get rid of that thought. <laughs> it takes us a little bit to get, get uh, changed. I have met people where many things changed in their life overnight when they became a Christian. They become the most uh, impatient, unloving people with people who are learning to mature. And they also don't look at all the other areas that they need to mature in. Because it, they had a big change overnight. But most of us, myself included, take a long, long time to change. And those of us who are stubborn like myself, it takes a long time to mature and change. All right? Uh, we need to learn to be patient, number one, with ourselves. Most of us are our own worst critics. Because we know that we could have done better. We know that we made choices on purpose to not be good. And we're usually our own worst critics. And if we're not our own worst critics, we're critical of everybody else around us. We need to make sure that we understand that everybody's going to grow at the speed that God has get them, gets them to grow. And some of it is how much do they understand the Bible, how well have they been taught. I, find my, I think I'm very fortunate. I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I have been good Bible teaching churches all my life and, and had a good foundation. One thing I have learned is many people don't have that strong foundation. And they're having to learn things much later in life. And you know the worst thing about having to learn things much later in life is you have to unlearn all the stuff that you learned first. And what we do as human beings is a lot of times we don't like to think that what I learned in the past was worthless. So we try to mix the world's way of thinking with God's way of thinking and try to mix the two together and it doesn't work. All right? Um, that would be, you know, when you take the statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream and the feet were of clay and iron, the clay and iron don't mix together. You know, and if you're trying to build your life on the world's truth and, and God's truth mixed together, it's not going to work. And I understand it is very hard sometimes to say, okay, God, I'm going to accept your truth and what I learned in the past is worthless. Get rid of it and live on the truth of God. It's what we need to do, but I also understand how hard it is to do. You know, to get rid of the old way of thinking. God, I've lived this way for X number of years. You know, God, I just got, I've got serious about you and I'm 99 and I'm going to have to throw away everything that I learned for 99 years and put my truth on you. I'm using an extreme because nobody in here is at 99 years old. <laughs> You know, but you know, how long have you been resting without truth in your life? This is really hard for people who've even grown up in the church. You know, one of the biggest problems I see in churches is that when they pick teachers for these children, 
They pick anybody who's willing to teach the children who may not know anything about the Bible. And then the children get taught a whole bunch of garbage that is going to be what they're going to believe for the rest of their life. All right? Now, and I've seen this. I have corrected. I have been Sunday school director. I have corrected children's teachers gently because of the bad thing that was taught to some students and gone in and give the students the right message because that foundation is important because they may or may not ever get a teacher that actually teaches them. You know, I have heard Sunday school teachers say, well, God doesn't like you when you do, doesn't, doesn't, li doesn't like you when you do something. Well, you know what? God doesn't like what you, what you do, but he still loves you. And when we plant that seed that when I'm disobedient, God doesn't like me, how does that influence everything that is going to be done? As soon as I do something wrong, well, God doesn't like me anymore. I'm going to go keep doing worse because God doesn't like me anymore. No, he always loves us. He always will reach down to us. He may not like what we have done. He may bring judgment upon and consequences upon what we have done, but he still completely loves us. But these are the truths that we look at. Truth has to matter. This is why we're going to be doing the Truth Project again, is because truth matters. How many lies do we have in our brain that we believe and not follow God's truth? And we need to be able to get into this. The more we're in God's word, the more we're going to know truth, the more we're going to be able to stand on truth and be able to develop our life under the truth of God. And this is very important for us to be able to follow this truth and grow and follow all of this. So what are some of the things that we need to know about this truth that he's talking about? Uh, we, sang, we sung the song this morning, You Say. I love that song because, you know, the chorus is all about, you say I am loved when I don't feel a thing. How many times do we judge our life by what we feel rather than what we're told is truth? Now, I understand it's hard to do. It's hard to go... God, I don't feel like you love me at all. Look at how much trouble I'm having in my life. You know, again, we're going to present you Job. Job went from the richest man in the world that loves God to nothing. And then he loses his health. And then he gets four wonderful friends telling him how awful and bad he is. I don't think he felt loved at all. <laughs> Hopefully he still knew that God loved him. And most of his words did tell us that he understood that God still loved him. Do we believe that, that we are only going through things that the rest of the world goes in, goes through? I have heard people say, well, I don't understand why I'm going through so much bad things. Nobody else has ever gone through anything like I'm going through. It's not what God's word says. You know, matter of fact, if we're going through things, it's probably much less than what, what the Bible talks about. We always look at people like David and we think about how wonderful David was. He fought Goliath. He was the king of, king of Israel. He uh, was told that he was going to be building a tent, uh, that his son was going to build the temple and gave gifts to his people. And we, when we think about David, we think about all the good things that happened to David. How about the decades that he was running for his life from Saul? How about when he made bad decisions with his kids and all of his kids went crying crazy? One raped a sister, another murdered his brothers, another one, another two tried to take the, usurp the kingdom from him. You know, we need to make sure we understand that these guys that we stand up and say what a wonderful people they are, 
had some very hard times in their life. And we need to be very, very careful because even when you look at other Christians around you, be careful that you're not putting them up on a pedestal because you probably don't want their life. You probably don't want the life that got them to where you're seeing them and you're not going to want to have the life that when they're try, tried and tested to, to be in that spot. Be very careful. You know, as, we're, as the saying goes, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. God, I want to be like that person. Okay, let's give you the trials that got them to be that person. You know, we need to really understand that there is a lot that goes into making these people who they are. And if you read the biographies, we have so many of them in the, in the back, it's wonderful to read those biographies of these great people and look how weak they were when they started. And how many times they fell and didn't do things the right way. And God gave them grace and mercy and grew them. Are you ready to take and go through what it takes to be great for God? To be great for God takes a lot of trials and testing. And it's only the ones that pass those tests that will actually get to be looked at and go, that person's really great. You know, I wonder sometimes what, what some of these great heroes that the biography and times have gone through to make them who they are. This is why I like reading biographies. God, what did, whoa, I don't know if I want to go through that to be that person. Because you look at what they went through, the trials they went through, the hardships they went through to be lifted up. You know, the good news is, is God is always with us in the trials. He's always with us when everything that we're going through. You know, how do we get this whole process? Everything starts with the cross. Jesus went to the cross to die for us so that we can be forgiven. At that point, he says we are justified. We've talked about this several times. Do you realize how important that word is, justified? He declares us perfect from the throne room of heaven. And I've told you this is much like going to court. You go to bankruptcy court, you owe lots of money. And when you walk out and the judge has said, you don't owe any money anymore. This is what justification is. We walk into the court of heaven owing God everything that we, and we could never pay the debt that, he, that we owe him. We accept Jesus' gift and he says, okay, you're, you're forgiven. You don't owe me anything anymore. Do you realize how precious that is? From heaven you are declared perfect. Now, none of us live perfectly. But in God's eyes, we are perfect because he said so. And he's the God of the universe. He said so. We will spend our life being sanctified. This is the maturity side of things. Learning to do the right things over time. Being baptized into the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit change who we are over a period of time. And we start becoming more like God with each passing day. This is the beauty of the redemption that God has done. He's bought us back. And then at some point when we die or are raptured, we will be glorified and we will be made perfect like God said we were in the beginning. All of this comes down. We need to learn to grow. We need to learn to give other people room to grow. You know, you expect, you know, we all expect people to give us room to grow. We all expect people to give us grace. 
We should be giving just as much grace and room to grow as we expect to be done to us. Now, I know some people are perfectionists, so I don't, even, I don't want them to get into that because they don't give themselves much room. But you know, we need to be able to give grace. And when I talk about giving grace, the first thing everybody will always think about or even say is, well, they don't deserve grace. Absolutely. If they deserved grace, it wouldn't be grace anymore. You know, grace is unmerited favor. It is giving them what they don't deserve. We need to learn to be able to be as gracious as possible with the world. Now, I've said this so many times, you know, I am never surprised when sinners sin. Doesn't surprise me at all. They're doing exactly what they are doing. And who are sinners? Everybody. Now, it disappoints me more when a Christian sins, but I'm not surprised because Christians are still sinners. It disappoints me because they have the power to be victorious because the Holy Spirit lives in them. But I'm still not surprised. We need to get to this place where we're not surprised when a sinner sins. And we give them grace, just as God gives us. We need to be praying about learning about grace, learning about how to give grace, learning to accept grace. For, the, for those who are perfectionists, it's hard to give grace, it's hard to accept grace. You know, I, I've always hated people going, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to just accept that. Going, it wasn't a good job. I turned in a paper one time in, a, in college that I knew was not a good paper. I didn't have enough time to write it. I got an A in the paper. I went and asked the teacher, why in the world did you give me an A? It barely made the level of a C plus. And she says, if you read all the other papers, everybody else would have got an F. I have to give you a good grade because everybody else deserved an F. If I graded correctly, I'm going, well, grade correctly. Now, it didn't make me happy to have this good grade that I did not deserve. But she graded on a, on a curve, and my paper was the standard on the curve, and I'm going, this is not right. God does not grade on a curve, people, but he does give grace. And the problem with God's grading, grading system is that all of us fail without Jesus. No matter how good we think we might be without Jesus, we have failed. Uh, you know, this would be... I uh, heard an example just the other day. He goes, okay, we're going we're gonna to use this picture of this. How good are you at, you know, we're going to take you to the Grand Canyon and tell you to jump to the other side. And he goes, some may go out a foot or two. Some may be really good jumper and get out about 10 or 20 feet. They're still not making it to the other side of the Grand Canyon. No matter how good their jump was, let's say they were a superstar and they jumped 30 feet. I know that's more than the world record they're still not getting to the other side of the Grand Canyon. This is the problem with us trying to meet God's standard. No matter how good we think we are, our standard doesn't come close to God's standard of perfection. And if we can't do it thinking we're good, we cannot be judging those who we think are bad. Because we can't make it either. We need to be very careful about how we're dealing with other people. So. I just want us to learn to give grace. If our church can learn to be gracious and treat everybody around us with grace, how much can God be lifted up? Because once you've given grace, now all of a sudden you've got a door opened up to be able to present the gospel. That we're all falling short of God's 
desires. Jesus died on that cross so that we could be able to go to heaven. Wonderful message, simple message. And I've shared so many times, it is easy to give the gospel message. I've had people go, I didn't have time to give the gospel message. Well, it only took 30 seconds. You were with the person a lot longer than 30 seconds. Now, hopefully you can get a conversation going and explain it all. But it doesn't take long to tell people they're a sinner. Jesus died for your sins. You need to accept him. That's the gospel message. Plant those seeds in people. Let them know. You know, and be able to follow this through and be able to answer questions. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to have great expectations of, of meeting God at his, on his side without Jesus Christ. And we're never going to be good enough for God. And we need to be able to understand that it is only through Jesus Christ. When we are saved, we put on Jesus Christ. And God looks at us and says, Oh, there's Jesus. I, that's my perfect child. That's, that's the righteousness of Jesus. At the white throne judgment, when people stand at the white throne judgment before God, they're going to be judged for their good works, which don't meet the mark. Isaiah tells us that their good works are filthy rags. And I can just see it up in heaven when they all of a sudden stand before God, they're dressed in their fine good works, and they all of a sudden look down and realize, I don't look good in this court. I got a bunch of rags on me. And they're going to be rejected because their righteousness does not add up to the right standing. We need to be able to understand not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he has saved us. We're saved by grace and nothing but grace. And we need to be able to deal with other people on that same mentality. They're going to be saved by grace. And the more we learn to give grace the better off. Does that mean we let people walk all over us because we're giving grace? No. It just means we give them grace, we let them, we let them learn before God, and we don't let them keep hurting us. Now, if somebody's hurting a child, I'm not going to let them keep hurting that child. I will give them grace, I will give them mercy, but they're not hurting that child. That child's coming out, going to be worked on getting out of that environment. We need to understand that grace is not a license to sin, it is just giving grace. And you know what? I am God glad God gives us grace. You know, I am so happy for his grace. Because without his grace, I'd be in trouble. Without his grace, you'd be in trouble. You know, we need to be able to understand God's grace and mercy. And all of these stories here talk about, do not be a hypocrite. Do not judge other people. And learn to go by maturity. Let people mature at their rate between them and God. Because I can tell you, each one of us are maturing at a different rate. Each one of us may have gone really far in one area of our life and haven't touched another area. And if people are judging us, they might look at that area that we haven't gone very far on and not pay attention to the area that we've gone far on. And we're doing the same thing to them. Give people the room to grow before God at their own pace between them and God. Because you want the same thing for you. I can tell you there's areas in my life I've grown a whole lot and there's areas in my life I look around and go, uh, God, I just read this. I haven't touched that area at all in my life. I didn't even know I was supposed to touch that area in my life and now I know that I've got to start growing in that area. Learn to just trust God and walk with him.
Lord, we ask you to bless this week as we go about your, your, your work for us. Teach us to understand grace. Teach us to understand your mercy. Teach us to how to give grace and mercy to others and be able to accept them the way you accepted us without judgment and be able to love other people. And we just thank you for that. Lord, if there's anybody listening on the internet that doesn't know you, we ask that today that they will recognize that they're a sinner and come to you and seek your forgiveness because you love them so much that you died on the cross. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.